If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's Word. We are resolved again, as we're talking about week in and week out, we've made a resolution as a church this year to love our neighbors. Um, We are seeking to be a blessing to the people that we live with, the people we live near, people at work, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, our social circles. And uh, last week, we began a discussion of a struggle that a lot of people have in loving others. Um, That struggle is that when matters of faith come up in conversation between people who don't agree, people get nervous, they get uncomfortable, and they get frustrated, right? Everybody has experienced that to one degree or another. And we, we, we noted last week that it's interesting because both Christians and non-Christians alike feel the same way when it comes to discussions of faith. Both feel like they're going to be misunderstood. Both feel like they're going to be judged. And the other thing that we saw last week was that both wish that somehow the process of talking about faith could be better. Everybody wants to be able to have relationships where they can talk freely and openly, even about things that they disagree on. Now, the good news for us is that God wants it to be better too. Okay? Not just everybody, but God wants things to be better. God didn't make a world for, the pe- for people to be plagued with misinformation and a judgmental attitude. Like, that was not God's intention. Even when we disagree with our friends, God's desire is that understanding and love would characterize even our disagreements. Okay, that's God's heart. God's heart is that love and understanding would characterize our conversation even when we disagree. And God cares so much about this. God cares so much about the way that we talk. This is such a huge part of God's project to bring healing and grace and understanding love. Uh, to his world, that he has gone to great lengths. I mean, even in our passage today, he speaks specifically. He bears his heart through the Apostle Paul. He bears his heart um, on this issue into the confusion of our relationships, into the struggle that we have. And it's not always even with people that are outside the church, right? Paul's talking about folks that are outside the church here. But, man, how many of our marriages struggle with misinformation, judgmental attitudes, Right? How many of our friendships, we struggle with this in and out of the church. God cares so much about this. And so into the confusion of our relationships, into the complexity of our disagreements, when we're prone not to disagree well, God speaks and shows us how we can make a difference. Okay? He speaks in direct ways to show us practically how we can love and be a blessing to other people. Okay, and he tells it to us in three points in these verses. We're going to focus mostly on verses 5 and 6. So let me give you the three points now. Um, they're pretty simple. First, they're similar to last week, but I changed the last point here. 
Um, first, we're going to see that, that God says to walk in wisdom. Second, to speak in grace. And then third, add some salt. Okay? Walk in wisdom, speak in grace, add some salt. So let's start first with walking in wisdom. This is verse 5. Paul says, um, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And so we talked a lot. The whole sermon last week was all about understanding, that, that wisdom breeds understanding, that we need to understand the world that we live in. Okay, And a huge part of, of wisdom is understanding the people in your life. You know, that in matters of faith, understanding the questions that people have and not answering questions that they're not asking, right? We talked all about that last week. Well, Paul goes on in this verse. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. You see that? Making the best use of the time. This phrase, making the best use, it's actually a shopping term, okay? It's a term that was used when you go shopping, um, and, and, and the idea here that Paul is saying is he's saying buy up every opportunity that you have to put your faith in Jesus on display. Okay? So when he's saying make the most, he's saying buy up. Um, let me give you an illustration. You know, Borders is going out of business. Right? All the Borders stores. Well, we have one right here. Whenever I get into a place, I never know which direction is which. So if you go... <laughs> On 6th and, uh, and G, right right there, there's a Borders right there. Last Sunday, after church, I was walking out of the theater. Man, there were hordes and hordes and hordes of people. Like, we've been over there after church on, on normal Sundays. And you got a few folks here. There's, you know, there's some people there. Last week, the place was crawling with people. Hundreds and hundreds of people were inside the Borders. Why? There was a sale. Everything's 40 to 75% off. You know, these books, man, they're expensive. And so people knew there was a deal to be had. They saw the signs, and there they go. They were taking the opportunity to buy up a bargain, right? They wanted to buy up books. They they wanted to get a great deal on books. And so what God is saying here in this passage is he's saying, you want to snap up every opportunity that you have to help other people see your faith in Jesus, Okay? You want to make the most of every opportunity to put your faith on display. Now, why? Why do we need to do this? Because I want to, I want to say, I read this and this just powerfully struck me. Um, a couple of different authors said this in different ways. But here's the principle of why we need to do this it's because your life is the Bible that people will read. Your life is the Bible that people will read. It's what they do read. When you call yourself a Christian, people will associate your life with the claims of Jesus. I don't know a whole lot of Christians that actually read the Bible. There's a few. Most don't. They're not interested. Um, Your friends, your neighbors, and your co-workers, your family members, your friends, um, they are looking at your life 
and they are looking at your life as though it is, as though it represents the Christianity that you profess. What are they reading in your life? Think about that for a minute. What is it? What's the message that your life shares with the people around you? And what do people think about what it means to know Jesus from your life? What are the things that they, what do they conclude about Christianity in their interactions with you? This is a big deal. It's a big deal uh, because what is more important than the things that they hear you say is the person that they see you are. And they see the person that you are by the things that you do. What you are, who you are, what you do is actually what you need in order to give credibility to what you say. I think it's interesting that Paul says here, you know, verse 5 comes before verse 6. You know, walk in wisdom with outsiders. It's the walk. It's the, it's the pattern of your life that he starts with before he talks about what you say. Um, there are lots and lots of barriers that people have um, with Christianity. Uh, there's barriers that keep people from even approaching Christianity or, uh, or, or Jesus or the church um, there's a chart in uh, in your bulletin there on page six below the scriptures um, that, that really categorizes the three main types of barriers that exist. And um, one of the barriers that keeps people farthest away are emotional barriers. Okay, they're emotional barriers. Um, emotional barriers are, you know, these are people that um, when the subject of Christianity comes up, they don't even want to go there. They didn't want to go there. I've got a friend who used to be a neighbor who talked about this. Like for him, anytime somebody would bring up any religion, like he just felt like, man, that's, I, I, just, I just can't go there. I don't want to go there. I, I can't go there. Um, people have been hurt, burned, or have had a bad experience in the past with the church, with a Christian. You know, these create these emotional barriers of anger, of frustration, of fear. Um, or, you know, people who are afraid of being honest because they are pretty convinced they're just going to be judged. And so they can't tell you what's going on inside because they have an emotional barrier. And so you could try to share anything you want with them. Either you could show them the Bible, you could give them evidence, you could talk about this, that, the other. Like none of it even gets through because there's an emotional barrier there that unless that emotional barrier is dealt with, is lifted they will have deaf ears. They just can't hear or accept anything that you have to say. It's really, really helpful to understand that. Um, that really gives a lot of light also to the dynamic between moderns and postmoderns, right? A lot of times the modern Christians want to tell postmodern non-Christians, oh, you just hear all the facts. 
here all the information, here's all the evidence, here, and these folks are like, you're not on the same page with me. Like, I can't even go there with you. Like, I've got issues. I'm not going to tell you about them because you're not going to understand. Clearly, I can see that you're not going to understand by the way you're talking. And so what deals with emotional barriers? It's walking in wisdom and making the best use of the time. It's your friendship and your experience that overcomes those kinds of barriers. Chiefly, it's your friendship. It's your friendship. Because if you are friends, if you are honestly friendly, if you care about people, a caring life communicates love. Right? If you are quick to serve, serving others communicates love. It creates a space of acceptance. Right? If your attitude is generally positive because you have peace, because you have a peace with God, because you have a peace that, you know what, there's someone who's in control of all the craziness. Right? You can trust in that. That gives you a sense of peace. If you have hope, you know, that you see that God is at work in the world, that gives you a hope. Right? If you have a joy in life, you know, that your disposition is one that isn't just plagued by the things that are broken, but has a sense of, you know what, but there's been something dramatic that's happened in this world. That Jesus has come and he has brought healing and restoration and reconciliation. And we, and I'm experiencing that. That gives you a joy. That gives you a sense of joy that there's been victory that's accomplished. When you have, when those things influence your attitude, it creates a positive disposition. And those things communicate love and acceptance to others. And so when we think about opportunities, right, making the best use of your time, like you want to be looking for opportunities to care, to serve, and to have an attitude that reflects that, man, there's stuff going on in the middle of this world that God is doing that gives you reason for joy and hope and peace. If you let people read these things in your life, not even based on what you say, but by who you are and what you do, those things give credibility that overcomes emotional barriers. And, and if you care about somebody and you honestly serve them and you really are interested in what's going on in their lives, you know, they might have a problem with all kinds of stuff that you believe, but you're safe. You're safe. So you want to look for opportunities to love people. I mean, when I, when I see them, I, I snatch them up. Like I do. I look and I go, oh, hey, here's an opportunity for me to love somebody. I mean, seriously, is there a chance to serve here? Can I help you with that? You know, can I hold the door open for you? Can I hold the elevator? Wait, wait, don't worry. Don't run. No, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm holding the elevator for you. You're good. Take your time. It's no big deal. Right? Um, hey, can I put some of your stuff that's overflowing in my trash can? I got room this week. I usually don't, but this week I do. You know, come, you know, um, can I bring your trash cans back up? Right? Just anything. Like, it's an opportunity to serve because what you're doing is you're showing people that you care. You're showing people that you have a heart that wants to serve. I mean, and oftentimes, it's just spending time with people. You know, in our neighborhood, I just go outside in the front yard and try to be with people. 
because I just want them to know that I care. I really honestly care. I love them. And, and I look and it gives me opportunity. Hey, how are you doing? What's new in your life? What's going on? You know, and you look for opportunities to just create that space where, you, where they get convinced. You know what? This person cares about me. That helps overcome those emotional barriers. But again, your life is the Bible that non-Christians read. We've got to just, we've got to hold on to that. And it's when you are walking in wisdom like this that it really sets the table. Right? That's what gives you credibility for when you do finally speak. Okay, and, so, and that's what's coming up next. That's our second point. That uh, we walk in wisdom. And then our, our second point is that we speak in grace. This is verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. Last week, when we were talking about wisdom, we talked about the problems that come because Christians are answering questions that non-Christians aren't asking. Right? We talked about that. And it takes wisdom to know what those questions are. Verse 5. But in verse 6, we see that God not only cares about us knowing the questions, he also cares about how we answer those questions. He cares about how. So it's not just, oh, now they have the question right now, I'm ready to go. Hold on. Let's also talk about how you answer those questions when you get at the question underneath the question. And what God says is that your speech should always be gracious. It should be filled with grace. What is grace? What does it mean to be gracious? Well, if you look at all the ways that word is used in the Bible, you can sort of piece together a definition. Grace is the favor and blessing of God, especially when people don't deserve it. Okay? It's the favor and blessing of God, especially when people don't deserve it. So when you think about um, someone who has disobeyed um, their master, you know, disobeyed the king in the Bible, you know, justice would be done. Grace comes in and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive your sins. I'm going to forgive the things you've done, and I'm going to treat you like my child. That's a picture of grace. Um, graciousness also characterizes um, the way that we talk. Here's another definition that I got from a Bible dictionary. It said this, it's a winning quality or attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction. Right? So it's like charm or winsomeness. When you think about how you answer people, how you speak, it should be winsome, it should be gracious, it should be attractive to people. You know, and you think about this, um, you know, grace, is, it's the water in which the Christian swims. You know, I mean, you think about baptism. You know, in, in baptism, God pours out the water of his Holy Spirit. It's like heaven opens up and God drenches us with heaven. And in every molecule of water, like the hydrogen in the water from heaven is grace. Okay, H2O, you know, maybe the oxygen, H2, the oxygen in the water molecule is grace, right? There's one. Um, It's everywhere. Like your whole experience, if you're a Christian, is one of grace. 
It's one of grace. It begins with grace. It continues with grace. It's going to end in grace. And so grace should characterize your speech because as a Christian, grace characterizes your life. Your life. And so you want to ask yourself, like to really get this practical, how has God treated you? You think, like, well, what has God done for me? Well, God has done for me, through Jesus, things that I could not do on my own. Right? Jesus came and lived a perfect life for me. God took Jesus' perfect life and has wrapped me up with it. He looks at me like I'm perfect. And then he took my sin and he put it on Jesus. And Jesus died the death I was supposed to die for my sins. And so God did this for me, and I was helpless. I couldn't do anything, and yet God, in his grace, has treated me in that way. And so you think about what God has done for you. God does things for you that you cannot do for yourself. Boy, how does that influence the way you talk to people? Right? How, in your words, could you do something for someone else that they can't do. Right? Maybe tr- giving them kindness when they're not even ready to apologize. Right? That would be a really good application of gracious speech where God has done something for you that you couldn't do on your own. But God's grace continues because God then, there, there's the whole section of, of, of truth in Scripture talking about what God does in you. Right? He makes you righteous. He looks at you and, and, and declares that you are righteous and adopted into his family. Right? He treats you like an insider now. Right? That's part of the gospel. And then God then comes inside of us. He then, his, his Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. His presence draws so near to us that Jesus is living in our hearts. What does that do for us? that changes us from the inside out, that makes us new creatures. It takes out the bad stuff that's in us and puts in righteousness. And so God's work in us helps us. It causes us to grow. It sees the best in us and fosters the best in us. So you want to think, well, how could your words do that for someone else? How could you, with your words, speak in ways that would help others to grow? Help others see what is in them that is good. Help them deal with things that aren't good, but do it again in a way that is like the way God deals with us. Right? In grace. Man, this should make us experiencing grace. I mean, this is kind of what's cool is that Paul tells us what we've kind of been saying through this whole resolution thing is that in order to share God's grace with the world, you need to be experiencing God's grace, right? And so when Paul says, this is how you, you deal with folks that are outside the church, he says, let your speech be gracious. You know, it's kind of like Paul saying, like, I'm excited to be able to tell you this because I'm just telling you to share what you are already experiencing, right? You have experienced the grace of God in ways that have blown your mind and given you joy. Share that. Like that. (laughs) Take that and, and, and give that to somebody else. 
um, when we deal with grace, um, grace is what helps us really deal with the volitional barriers that people have to Christianity. That's that third set of barriers there on the chart. Volitional barriers, you know, your volition is your will. Um, and so we're talking about sort of the want to part of you, like what you want to do, what you don't want to do. Um, it's your will that, um, that for a lot of people, people just, look, I, I know Jesus is compelling. I, I get that there's a lot of good stuff going on in the church. I can see what you're saying about God offering forgiveness, but I just don't want to become a Christian, right? I just don't want... I just don't want it. Sorry, I would rather continue to live the life that I have. Um, I would rather hold on to what I'm holding on to. Um, I don't want to have to give up certain things in my life. You know, those are volitional barriers that people have where they sort of see it all, but they just don't want it. Grace is, I think, the most powerful thing to help deal with volitional barriers, barriers of the will. I think grace is the thing that God has given that draws people more than anything else. And Romans 2.4 says just the same, says exactly that. In Romans 2.4, again, same same author here, Paul. Paul says this, he says, um, Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Like it's God's kindness that leads us to want to come back to him. It's when we see that God's arms are open. It's when we see what God has done to make a way back. It's when we see all that God has in store for us by his grace. That for so many people is the thing that changes their heart. It melts their hearts. It changes their will. And they think, man, okay, I thought this was good. Oh, I want that. That's so much better. That is so much better. And our words need to be characterized by this grace. We have an opportunity to let this grace envelop us. It's kind of interesting with this phrase, let your speech always be gracious. I don't do this a whole lot, but in the Greek, it actually says, uh, let your words be in grace. And the phrase in grace, it sort of speaks about like there's this realm Okay, like if you're a fish, you swim around in water. As Christians, we sw- we're swimming in grace. It's this realm. It's like God has opened up heaven and poured out salvation. So we live and walk in this realm that is grace. Like what I just said a few minutes ago. And what Paul is saying here is we need to speak from that. We need to speak from that. Um, I have been, lately I've been um, at night when I pray with the kids... I've been praying in a different, I don't know, I just, I thought about this. It just, it sort of came over me. So I've been praying it over my kids where I've been saying, God, um, fill Jamie, fill Nathan, Amanda, Ryan, fill them with your Holy Spirit so much that they would be filled in every part of them. And, and I said, Lord, it's like, and I, and I talk about this image. It's like a, like if, if there was a jacuzzi that was lifted up with water above their heads and just dumped on them. Lord, help them to experience the Holy Spirit like that, that it would be drenching them and that it would affect everything. And then I say, Lord, let your Holy Spirit fill their minds so that they would think the way you think. Let your Holy Spirit fill their hearts so that they would feel the way you feel. 
Let your Holy Spirit fill their feet so they would go where you want them to go. Let your Holy Spirit fill their hands so they would do the things you want them to do. And then let your Holy Spirit fill their mouths so that they would say the things that you say. That's what we're talking about. It's experiencing the grace of God, the gospel, the grace, and that that would be what pours forth from our lips when we open our mouths. The good news is if this isn't characterizing your speech, the answer for you is you just need to press back into the grace of God. Go back to Jesus and confess it. Ask him to help you understand it. Get with brothers and sisters, friends, to help you re-experience that grace, to go deeper in your experience of that grace. Because his grace is new every morning. He is waiting to fill you. At the Lord's table, he's going to fill you again with his grace. It would go in so that grace would come out. So that's our second point, that we speak in grace. Our last point, um, things that, um, that help us to walk and talk here with, with the folks outside, is, is to add some salt. Add some salt. That's what, what Paul says next in verse 6. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person seasoned with salt. So we want to add some salt to our gracious words. It's kind of a weird phrase, right? It's kind of a mixing of metaphors, I guess, kind of let your speech season. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, um, salt um, is a preservative, right? When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, in the Old Testament, salt was actually used as part of God making a covenant with people. It was part of the covenants that were made. And so salt wasn't just preservation, but it was a symbol of permanence. Okay, it was a symbol that this was going to last forever. Okay, God's promises last forever. And so you add salt to his promise. So it's this physical symbol of this commitment that God is making. Okay, and so, um, and then salt was also used as a spice, right? It added flavor to things. And so if you put these images together, right, this, this image of permanence and flavor, then what you have God saying here is that as you speak, you want to make sure that you add salt. And what salt is, salt is the truth of God that brings an eternal perspective to a situation. Okay? Salt is the truth of God that brings an eternal perspective to a situation. Now, let, let's flesh out exactly what that means and what that looks like. Um, there is, so, <laughs> God made this world in the most amazingly beautiful and glorious way. If you read the Bible, at the very beginning, God in Genesis 1 and 2 created the world so that life would flourish. So that relationships would be so powerfully encouraging. In the world that God made, there was never, ever problem with confusion. There was never anything less than perfect understanding. 
God built the world so that it would be run by what the Hebrews call shalom, right? This incredible word that we translate peace, but it means so much more than just peace. Shalom, when in, the, in the Old Testament, it talks about this peace that exists between you and God, between you and other people, between you and yourself, and between you and the world that God has made. It's this full orb, all-encompassing peace that was the breath of the world that God made. Like that's God's intention for the world. That's what he built into the world. That's the world that he made. And unfortunately, unfortunately, in the beginning, people left God. They were deceived into thinking that there was a better way to do things, that God's way wasn't the best way. And so they ignored God. They actually cut themselves off from God and they went a different way. And the Bible says that when you do that and you cut yourself off from God, when you don't follow his ways, what happens is that you cut yourself off from everything that God is. And God is peace. And so to cut yourself off from God means you cut yourself off from peace. And so their peace with God was, was ruptured. And when that happened, peace between people got ruptured. And all of a sudden, conflict began to break out. You had Cain killing Abel, right? You got this conflict that exists in marriage. You've got people that, that, that begin to do things that demonstrate like oppression. You know, people gaining power and then oppressing other people. You have slave. I mean, all these things happen um, because people cut themselves off from God and his peace. Right? That's what sin is. It's cutting yourself off from God. And this is the world that we live in now. Right? This is the world that we've inherited. And it's also the world that, frankly, we contribute to. But, but in the midst of this world, in the midst of the world that is broken and crying for help, and sometimes not crying for help, but in a world where there's oppression and confusion and conflict and misunderstanding, in the world that you live in with your friends and your family members where conversations always don't go great, right? In that world, God came. Into that world, God sent his son to say, I want to make things new into that world, into our world, into your world, Jesus Christ came to bring healing, to bring reconciliation with God, to bring a restored sense of peace with God so that you could also be restored with other people. Jesus came in this way, perfectly understanding us. He came with this understanding. And so more than God just speaking his word to his people on earth, God came himself and said, look, I am going to fix this. I am going to fix this. And so Jesus comes and he puts the weight of our sin on his shoulders and he takes him to the cross. And he dies. He suffers for our sins. He gives himself for us so that his love could break through so that his love could change our lives forever. And what God is doing is in the midst of a world that's broken, God has planted eternity. God has brought his kingdom. And it's this world within the world where things are getting better. 
It's this world within the world where relationships are healing. It's this world within the world where you can see life and joy, where you can see peace being restored, where you can see real community. Like, this is what Jesus is do, like, did, and this is what God is doing in this world. And so God cares about everything that's going on. He cares about reconciliation, about redemption, about bringing people together, about peace. This is the salt. This is the story that is the salt that we add to our conversations. Okay, this is the salt that brings permanence to our world. Because as we live and talk about what God is doing, what God is doing is going to last forever. God's kingdom, it's like a mustard seed, Jesus said. It's really, really super tiny, but you put it in the ground and it gets bigger than every other plant on earth. That's what happens. Jesus said that God's kingdom is like leaven. You put a little bit of it in a dough and then the whole thing gets leavened. God is filling the world with his kingdom and he is building healing and power and restoration and glory and and togetherness and reconciliation. I mean, this is what God is doing in the world and the salt that we add is, is is bits and pieces and parts of that story okay that's the gospel that's the good news of jesus and so for us paul is saying that we want to make sure that as we speak graciously that we are giving hints that we are speaking about ways that uh, you know that, 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 that describe what god is doing in the midst of our world Okay, and so what does this look like? What does this look like? Um, well, I mean, I like that Paul says season with salt, you know, because Paul's not saying take the salt shaker, screw off the cap, and like dump it on your next conversation. Okay? We're all in a church. I just took a few minutes to describe the bigger, longer picture of what God is doing. Okay? That may be more than just a pinch of salt added, what I just did. Okay? But we need to understand that that's the story. So what this looks like is that as you are interacting with people, um, as you are walking wisely, loving them, caring for them, as your speech takes on gracious elements, you want to look for opportunities to be able to add some of the salt of God's story in the midst of your relationship. Okay, that's what it looks like. Um, The way this book describes it, I mentioned this book last week, Going Public with Your Faith, it talks about faith flags and faith stories. These are great ways to add salt to your relationships. Let me tell you what those things are. A faith flag is a brief statement. These are pieces of a story that identifies you as someone who's serious about faith. Okay, so we're talking about 20-second things that you they're just part of who you are. It's just talking about who you are. So in 20 seconds, you say something without being pushy so that other people recognize that you care about God, that you care about the Bible, and that your faith means something to you. Okay? And so it could be as simple as, you know, I really feel blessed by God today. Done. Move on. It could be something good happened and you think, wow, I'm really thankful to God for that. You know? I mean, it's really simple stuff. It takes 20 seconds. You can, or, or I mean, something like, you know, um, somebody says something good to you and you can say, gosh, I'm really, <laughs> I feel really blessed because I didn't used to be this way, but I've been working. God, I think God is helping me grow in this area. Done. 
That's a faith flag. All it does is let people know that you are someone for whom faith matters. Okay? As you incorporate those things, again, you're not being pushy. You're not telling anybody to do anything. You're just saying, this is who I am. You're being honest in your relationships, in your friendships, that this is part of who I am. As you do that, that'll sort of help you evaluate what God might be doing in someone else's life. Right? They might respond. They might ask you for more information about that. If they don't, it's not a big deal. Like You're just making it clear that your faith in God is part of your life. That's a faith flag. It's a way to add salt. Okay? A faith story is a, like a one to two minute short story um, about how your faith impacts your daily life. Okay? And so it gives people a glimpse from your perspective on what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to be a child of God. You know, and so it could be, yeah, I'm really grateful because, I mean, like this happened to me a few weeks ago where I was talking to one of my neighbors about, about the kids and being patient. And I was able to say, yeah, you know what, I've been praying and, and I'm really thankful for the way that God has helped me to grow. Now I'm more patient than I used to be. I'm not pushing anything. I'm just saying this is what's going on in me. And this is a practical example of something that's changing in my life because of my faith in God, because of my experience reading the Bible, because of the relationships that I have in the church. Um, those are great ways. The bottom line here is that you're just, and you can even say this, look, I'm not pushing anything on you, but I'd love for you to know what's worked for me. Like, that's it. It's, it's, it's really that simple. Like, that's how you add salt to your relationships. Okay? And so you want to think through, okay, well, what could I make reference to in my life? Right? This is why in our resolution to love our neighbors, it starts with your relationship with Christ. What are you experiencing? Where is Jesus working in your life? You know, what are the things that he's doing in you? What are the ways that you've seen him change you? Okay, there you go. Like, make a list of those things. And just be open about it. It's not about conniving. It's not about manipulating. You're just being open about who you are. That's it. You're not pushing anything on anybody. But when you do that, it begins to add salt. Um, And the result is, the end of verse 6, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And that just shows us that when you live that way, people will ultimately ask. It'll happen. Um, it could sound like, you know what, that's, I'm glad for you, or that's good for you. If you get that, that's fabulous. Because you're not going to get that more than three or four times without you being able to say, can we talk a little bit more about that? And so the point is that um, when you're able to do those things, when you're able to share, um, this really deals with that third barrier, uh, intellectual barriers that people have. Like, is this really true? Um, you can share what God is doing in the world when you share God's word. You know, that, that bigger story that adds significance, it adds eternity, it adds permanence, it adds real meaning to life. When you share um, what God's word has to say or the story of God in the midst of, uh, of, of our lives, those things help deal with intellectual barriers, um, but not apart from your experience. You know, you want to make sure that what you're sharing about God's big story, you can say, and here's what it means to me. Um, Because when you do those things, you'll help deal with the intellectual barriers. And, I mean, that's too where you'll actually get at if there are real intellectual questions that people have. So, how do you really know that you can trust the Bible? 
hey, you know what, there are resources, let's go check those out together and see why the Bible is worth trusting. You know, the, the, the apologetics stuff comes in at this point to deal with these intellectual barriers that people have. Because some people have really legitimate questions, they just don't know. And at that point, when you have a relationship there, then you can bring those things in and it can help eliminate those intellectual barriers to Christianity. So that's what Paul lays out for us in terms of walking and talking with the world, with our neighbors, with the folks that we love and want to see blessed by our faith. You know, this is his call for us. And I know, I mean, the, the one thing that sometimes is daunting for me, it might be for you, is that like this really, it does take time. You know, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes effort. And, um, and there's times where I think, man, so much work. Like, it's just so much easier to coast. If you feel that way, um, I just want to remind you of this amazing story of what God's doing in the world. Because it includes God leaving the comfort of heaven for you. It involves God learning. I mean, learning is not the right word because God's perfect. But it involves God coming and communicating with you personally in a way that has brought you to an understanding of him that has led you into the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. He has done that for you. And he says, look, just go share it with other people. Take the time. It's worth the effort. I know it's hard. Trust me, I understand what it means to sacrifice. And I will give you the strength you need to make the sacrifices necessary so that the people in your life can hear it, can experience it, can be in a relationship with you so that through you I can touch and reach them. That's the good news. Let's pray together. Lord God, um, thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you have come to us. It blows me away, Lord, that you left the glory of heaven to come to sacrifice for us, to communicate with us. When your word, in a sense, wasn't enough, you came to show it to us in flesh and blood. Help us to be that flesh and blood incarnation of your word and your gospel. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to think through what is the story that people are reading from our lives and enable us, by your grace, by the power of your spirit, to live in ways that would show your grace and the saltiness and the joy of what you're doing in the world. Father, help each one of us. And for those who are here who aren't Christians yet, Lord, we pray too that you would help them to see what you've done so that they would know that they can trust you. So that they would say, I want to be part of this story. Draw near to them and encourage them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.